0: We are going to be jumping back into Romans chapter (coughs) 8 this morning. Uh, As we do that, we just always need to be mindful of the things that we have studied up to this point and just remember those two overarching themes that we've seen in the last few chapters, and that is... uh, that there's a sense in which we are dead to our sins, that sin no longer has any power and authority over us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. But at the same time, we do give credence and understand that there is a vestige of sin, even in the very best of us, that continues to raise its ugly head, and that we have been called by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. To be in the business of putting that sin to death. Not being satisfied with it. Not just shrugging our shoulders and just saying, Oh, well, that's just the way it is. But to be actively involved in putting it to death. To be done with it. Finally and fully. Uh, We are going to be picking up in verse 18 this morning through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth Together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even uh, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for that, for what we do not see, With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We understand this. We are all, we're not just Christians, we're also human beings, right? That's true for everyone here. Uh, We understand that suffering is part of life in this world. That there's a sense, you can say, in which all people suffer. No one has ever lived in this world, not even Adam and Eve, that have not gone through suffering. It is part of the life of just being human. We also understand this, that we have a suffering God. We were just talking about this in a uh, pastor's class this morning, and that is something I just want to remind us of continually. That is this is we have a God that knows what suffering is. He knows what suffering is in a way that we don't. The suffering is on a magnitude so far beyond ours, there's no comparison between the two. So when we come to God, we need to remember that, that He knows what suffering is. He understands in a way that you don't even understand the suffering that you're going through. But we know this, that suffering is something that is common to all people, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Suffering is part of this world. This world is not a perfect place. This world is not a beautiful and wonderful place to everybody all the time. It's a consequence as we've studied the book of Romans. All of that is a consequence of the fact that we're all falling into sin. Why? Because Adam and Eve fell into sin. Our first father, our first mother fell into sin, and we ride along with them. And it's been so through the whole history of mankind. Except for that short period of time, or however long it was, it could have been decades, it could have been eons, that Adam and Eve lived in the garden before they sinned. We don't know how long it was. But knowing the human heart like we do, it was probably something like five or ten minutes. Probably not very long at all. So there was a short period of time there in the world where there was peace, there was no suffering at all. But then sin came into the world, and it changed things. So there's a sense in which all people suffer, and all people suffer because of sin. Either their sin or the sin of other people. We also know this, that there is a sense in which Christians are called to a special kind of suffering. A kind of suffering that is unique to Christians. It's the suffering they endure in life just simply because they're associated with Christ. Christ said that they hated me, they're going to hate you. It could be argued that probably no one suffered anymore for the sake of the church. Certainly no one suffered for the sake of the church like Christ did to any measure. But among other people, it could be argued possibly that the apostle Paul suffered far more than any other believer has for the cross of Christ. How do we know that? We know that because if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives a list of some of the sufferings that he has endured just simply because he's gone about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that he's suffering just because he's a person. He's suffering specifically for the reason, and the reason is because he's preaching Jesus. Let me just read this for us. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 22 through 28. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. He's talking about a lot of the people he's received persecution from. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. Paul wasn't just in prison once or twice. He was in prison many times. For his faith. How many people here have ever spent an hour in jail because they were a Christian? More imprisonments, beaten times without number. How many people in this room have ever been beaten because they were a Christian? Paul has not only been beaten once or twice; he's been beaten many times, beaten without number. He can't count. The number of times he's been beaten because he was a Christian. Often in danger of death. How many people here have ever experienced for one minute the possibility they're going to lose their life just simply because they're a believer? Five times i received uh, the Jews' 39 lashes. The maximum number that they could apply. They couldn't do 40. 39 was it. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Remember in Lystra he was stoned. And they thought he was dead. And I'm not sure he wasn't dead. But God breathed life into him again. And he got up and he walked back into the city. And what did he do? He went and cowered in some corner. He went and hid away. So people would know he was still alive. No, he went right back in the thick of things and picked up preaching where he left off. Three times I was shipwrecked. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone has ever been shipwrecked in this room ever for any reason, much less because of believers. A night and a day I spent in the deep. Can you imagine being on a ship and the ship going down and you floating around in the open ocean for a lengthy period of time? I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. How many people here have had a sleepless night because they're a Christian? In hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, apart from such external things there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches paul took seriously his role as a pastor can you imagine what his prayer list was like how many people were on paul's prayer list how many people are on your prayer list i hope you do have a prayer list people that you're praying for on a regular basis Martin Luther said one time that unless he began the day by praying for three hours before he did anything else, he felt like he was wasting his time. How many people here have ever prayed one time in your life for three hours, unceasingly? Bringing a Christian, my friends, is not for the faint-hearted. Not for those who are easily discouraged. Because the reality is this is we never have any reason to be discouraged. I mean, we're discouraged by the news about Jessica. But we, do, we, we always have to remember there's something that un- undergirds absolutely everything that goes on in this world. And that is we have a sovereign God and he's behind all this. And even though we look at it it makes no sense to us at all, it makes perfect sense to him. That he's orchestrating the whole thing in whatever manner he pleases and chooses To do so. Does that mean that we don't need to pray? No, it doesn't mean that at all. We need to be praying because God answers prayer. Do you understand that possibly one of the reasons why all this is happening with that family is so that you and I can watch and see what God does and we will be strengthened and encouraged by it? All people sin. Therefore, all people suffer, but there are good reasons for suffering, and there are bad reasons for suffering. Do you pray for the persecuted church? There's some people in this room that are being persecuted right now. They are. Maybe they're here in church this morning, and there are people around them that would just assume them not be. And they have to overcome some obstacle just to be here on Sunday morning because they feel led to be here. Suffering is a product of sin, every suffering is a product of sin. Sin is a destructive force. It has never one time done anything good for anybody. It always tears down. It always demolishes. It always breaks. It always hurts. It always harms. Suffering is part of our life. As believers, it will come. Matter of factly, it will come. The question is, what do we do when it does? Are we discouraged by it? That's the normal reaction. Maybe there's a sense in which we ought to be encouraged when we suffer for Christ. Because in those times, we will experience a kind of encouragement that we will never experience apart from. what Paul is saying here is the glory. So there's a contrast to be made here between the suffering we endure and what we get on the other end of it. And what Paul says here, and he's talk about the glory, ultimately he's talking about the glory that we will experience fully in Jesus Christ when we go through this process called glorification. When every vestige of sin will be completely wiped away from us forever. Never. Well, we have to engage in that battle of putting it to death again. There won't be any. You'll always do the right thing. You'll always think the right thing. You'll always say the right thing. What Paul is saying is because of the great gifts we get in Christ, whatever suffering we endure in this life is not even worth talking about. That the glory that awaits us is so great and so grand and so glorious, you and I would go through absolutely anything to get it. No matter how harmful or hurtful it might be to us. We would suffer willingly, desiringly, joyfully to the absolute utmost to acquire the gift that awaits us in glory. That's how valuable it is. There is nothing in heaven and earth that comes close in value to that of being a child of the living God. Everything else pales in comparison. Nothing else is even worth considering in light of it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you're destined to a far greater place and one of the principal things about that far greater place is there will not be any sin. There is nev- will never be any sin ever, ever, ever. People will truly love one another with all of their heart and mind and soul and strength. As they love God. No more selfishness. No more bitterness. No more anger. No more hatred. Peace with God, and peace with fellow man, and peace within, complete, absolute. I mean, we've already read the price that Paul has paid in his life, and and what he's saying, and we all understand this, he's done way, way, way more than we even think about doing. He's endured stuff that we wonder if we would endure if we were in his position. But Paul's saying as great and as grand all as all that is, is nothing. It's not even to be compared to. The creation was subjected to futility, not at its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You may not realize this, but people and the earth are joined at the hip. Matter of fact, The term man is derived from the term of what the earth is named. Adam and Adamah. The earth is our home. It's been been our home from the very beginning. Ultimately, it's, it's God's intention for this to be our eternal home. Not going to heaven and staying in heaven. So a lot of people believe that. Just remember, the time is coming when Christ is coming back, and there's no mention of him ever leaving here again. He stays. This is our eternal home, where we are now. But it will be a renewed heaven and earth. Now, one of the things that Paul is alluding to here is there's such a close connection between people and the earth that what happens to people also happens to the earth as a result of it as we look around at the earth and we see the groanings and the moanings of earthquakes, we see the terrible destruction of hurricanes and tornadoes and cyclones, even those things are a consequence of our sin. In other words, there's a sense in which before man's sin, none of that stuff existed, and even in the cosmos. You look at it in the cosmos, and there's all these destructive forces, and there seems to be almost chaos in ways. And this, that, and the other. You need to understand that that is not how God created the heavens and the earth. that all of that is a consequence of us. We are so central to creation that all of creation has been affected by what we've done. There's a sense in which we are the very, very center of all of creation. Because we are the only ones of whom it is ever said are made in God's image. We are God's image bearers in all of creation. It doesn't say that about angels. There's something about us that makes us absolutely unique in all of creation. So when we fell into sin, we drug creation into it right along with us. How much suffering is brought about by earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and tidal waves and things like that. We have no one to blame but ourselves. If it wasn't for the sin of man, none of that stuff would be. See, as we're, we're here in the middle of all this mess that sin has created, it's not just this, us, it's the rest of creation around us. There's a sense in which it's suffering right along with us. But, when Christ establishes his eternal kingdom finally and fully on earth, That'll stop. No more hurricanes. No more earthquakes. No more supernovas. No more this. And no more that. I love being outdoors. I always have. I love to experience creation. Sometimes I walk outside and just look up in the sky. You know why? Because it brings me to a place of the awe of God. When you consider all that is above you, not just the blue sky, but the cosmos after that that goes on for a distance that we don't even have a clue how far, if there's ever an end to it. Creation does a lot of things, but one of the things it does is is it, 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 it screams of the greatness and the power and the authority and the mightiness of God. It helps bring us Or bring things in perspective for us. Where once again, one of the reasons I do that is because of this. Is because I'm struggling with my priorities and this, that, and the other, and it helps me to get my priorities straight. But like I was saying, I love to spend time outdoors. I spent the last couple of days on our roof. Replace. We have a metal roof. I've replaced every screw on our roof, and there's literally thousands of them. Part of that was because I love being outside. And what a beautiful day! Yesterday was a little bit on the warm side, but but Friday afternoon, you know, it was nice. It was gorgeous. You know, many of you know this that I taught at the college for many years. For thirteen years, I taught at the college, and I I taught uh, a human biology course for a while. But primarily, what I taught was environmental science, or what some people would call ecology and people and people where do people fit into this picture and people interacting with the environment around us and and that sort of thing and i love doing it one of the reasons is this is i have a lot of concerns about the younger people today let me tell you one of the younger one of the concerns is this is they have no con- conception of creation they have no conception of of how unique this world is and this that and the other One of the things I always did was I tried to foster in them a desire to spend time outdoors. You know, why don't you just, you know, I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but if you got time, why don't you just take off to the woods and find some trail somewhere and go walking amongst the trees and listen to the breeze. And sadly, let me just tell you something. The look I got from most of them, the majority of them was this, is why in the world would I ever even think about doing something like that? What I want to do this weekend is sit at home in the air conditioning and play on my iPhone all weekend. Lori and I are really enjoying Kinley. Yeah, you know, we have ten grandkids. We don't see two of them that live pretty close to us ever. The others we see in in big chunks. You know, when, when Lindsay and Justin and their kids come, they come for big chunks for two or three weeks at a time, sometimes even longer than that. But then we go for months without seeing them at all. But we're really enjoying Kinley because finally we have a grandchild. We see her a couple of times a week. Either we go to see her or she comes to see us. She sees grand or papa, which I'm trying to get them to do papa. Poppy's a Lindsay thing. Most of our grandkids call me Poppy. I'd rather be called papa. But she sees me and she starts going side, side. Side. She wants me to take her outside. She loves it. And I love it. Because most of the time I'd rather be outside. There's, you know, there's, there, the job that I do requires me to spend a lot of time sitting and reading and studying and doing those kinds of things, which very often is more conducive to do inside because you don't have that many things to sidetrack you and, uh, and this, that, and the other. But let me tell you, if I had my druthers, I would much rather be doing some kind of a position that put me outside. I'm an outside guy. I like it. Think about this. You go out in the woods or you go out in the field somewhere or whatever and you start walking around and, and, and there are creatures all over the place. You know, some of them are birds and some of them are these things we call mammals, you know, squirrels and rabbits and, 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 you know, and, and bigger things like bears and lions and tigers and you know, such and such and such. What is your experience when you go out at those times? Did these creatures flock to you? Did they come looking for you? In other words, by the time you leave, or you're surrounded by a bunch of birds, and there's a bunch of squirrels, and a bunch of, uh, of rabbits, and raccoons, and armadillos, and, and maybe some snakes, and insects, and this, that, and the other, did they just flock to you because, because you are so radiant, and you're so desirable that they just want to spend time with you? Is that what you experience? If you do, I'm going to go with you sometime. (laughs) What we experience is this, is the vast majority of those creatures run from us. They avoid us like the plague. Typically the ones that don't are the ones that want to eat us or something like that. Not because they want to have some kind of association with us. Not because they feel good around us. They're afraid of us. Do you understand that that is one of the consequences of the fall? That the creatures were very different in the Garden of Eden. That they really basically, in a sense, had fellowship directly with Adam and Eve, and they loved it. That was part of their life. You understand that it's the fall into sin that's created this chasm that separates us from all of God's creatures. But in new heavens and a new earth, things will be very different. You will be like the Pied Piper. And let me tell you something, you won't even be disgusted by rats anymore. Isaiah talks about this. And he goes to the extreme of talking about how the little child, the little human child, will play by the hole of the cobra. Now how many of you would have recommended a child do something like that now? Lori and I saw a thing on TV a few years ago. It was about this family in Thailand. They made their living by selling uh, venom from poisonous snakes, which they raised in their home, which ran free in their home. We're talking about cobras and this, that, and the other when their children were very, very young, they started giving them small doses of venom so that their body would build up a resistance to it. It was not unusual for one of the family members to get bitten. My whole thing is, are you crazy? But what I'm telling you is there's a time coming when that will be the norm. And it will be Good. And it will be fine. A lot of people don't go out there in the woods and whatever because they're they're afraid of them critters. Afraid one of those snakes is gonna bite me or some insect is gonna sting me. Or some alligator is gonna eat me. So they avoid it like the plague. But let me tell you, if we cheat ourselves of the grandeur of creation, our relationship with our Lord is going to suffer. Because it's so much of who we are. Spend those days just mesmerized by the greatness and the goodness of God's glory, which is so much displayed before us, we can't deny it. Wonderful, right? Doesn't that sound appealing to your heart? That's something you desire. But you know is out of kilter now. I wish I could do this. I wish I could describe for you what heaven is going to be, what the new earth is going to be like. I can't. I can't. I can't come close. You can't even imagine. And when we're there, you know what? We will know, with no doubt about it, that it was all, all well worth it. Everything we ever endured was very worth the price.